Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, you're very welcome to this week's podcast, Policing a Free State. I'm Morris O'Keefe. On Garda Shikana were founded on the 22nd of February 1921, a hundred years ago this month. And to mark the occasion, this is the first of two podcasts on the memories and stories told by past members of the force. And here is an example of the voices that you will hear in this week's podcast. We were like film stars. And I always remember the rats attack my sandwiches. And there was 42 listed, listed IRA in the district. I had to call to every household in the locality with your big book. I said, what's wrong? What do you say to the board? He said that the male car was attacked. I remained with the doors that remained with, with the government, the Free State, before later joining the Garda. So let's get started with Dan Donovan, who joined the Garda Shikana after the Civil War. So, Dan, you grew up in Bantry. That's right. Bantry Town. As time went on then, the Civil War came on and one thing or another. And, of course, like many other young fellows, I wanted to be prominent too and I wanted to be an Irishman. So that's how it was. I got mixed up in the trouble and uh, was arrested and did six months in Spike Island. As you know, the area split up, went into two parties, one the Free State and one the area. I remained with the doors that remained with, with the government, the Free State, before later joining the Garda and finished out a service and I got a pension. And then get out. Where were you stationed first when you joined the guards? First of all, I went into the depot as a recruit. My first transfer was to a, a little village called Colani in County Sligo. I spent not about four or five, five or six months there and came down to Cashel transferred to Cashel in Tipperary. I spent the term there and after getting married had to change my address because I married a local and how you had to leave where you were stationed. I was transferred to Tralee 
and I'm in Trilly ever since, but I finished my service in Trilly. A lot of people would remember you, Dan, for cycling in your high nelly, you know, the, the bike you used to go around in. Oh, it was. <laughs> you cycled everywhere. Oh, well, of course. I know what was, I suppose, you called it high nelly at that time, which was, it was the principal bicycle used by ordinary people at the time I came in. Were those enjoyable years? Did you enjoy those years? And well, they, they were. They were to a degree. But, of course, there was trouble on both sides, mm-hmm. you see. And everything wasn't smooth sailing. But, if personally, I know I did very well. I got on very well with the people. Even even the 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 hot headed enemy as well as anybody else because that was my outlook as a policeman to be fair to everybody, no matter what his outlook was. And I followed that sentiment. Mick Kilkenny, yeah. um you must tell me your story because I, I think it's going to be fantastic. Um, so it, it all started where? where? Where did your people come from? My, my, originally our people came from came from Galway over before 1798 over to Leitrim and some to Cavan. And my family came came to, to Alvaz County Leitrim sometime before 1798. They were there in 1798. I got, I got my leaving in 1937. That day, the day I finished it, I came home and my father was dying. He died that night. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah that's the, right. so the timing was... Time, time on that side. So uh, then I was there at home and, of course, there was no work, no nothing there. Um, and, that, and I applied for the guards and I was called in 1937. On 27th of September, 1937, I joined... 39, I joined the guards. My goodness. Just before the war? You just before... The war was declared the, three weeks earlier and they were taking in guards in there. Right. And took in about 200 of us that time. Oh, did they? They, they were yeah. kind of drafting them Drafting them in as quick as they could there. Yeah. And we were all sent to the city. Yeah. They had mostly on protection work. You know, all these ministers you who know, had their houses guarded for the IRA and diplomatic ministers. Now, the German ambassador lived out in Dunleary. And there were three men around his house 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, two uniformed men and one, one plain clothes man. Now, De Valera lived down in Black Rock, and there was four men around his house and eight men at night time. But yeah. the higher age you see at that time, they were starting the blitz earlier in the year over in England. And in 1939, yes, the IRA blew up custom houses and up around the north of Ireland all that time. And then I remember in, 19, in 1940, in the first week of May, Heart Show Week was on in Dublin. A spring show or that. And uh, I remember one evening, I was, one night I was told, I'm going to come down and play in clothes in the morning. You're escorting the males in. The mail car, the mail boat used to come in to Leary Pier. Mm-hmm. And the males from England come over. And the diplomatic mail for the British ambassador used to come with a special, special bag in the, in the boat. And that was escorted in by... Sometimes they're going by car and sometimes by train, and it was escorted in by a member from the yard of the Indian Lady and brought into the to Western Row 
and the detective, uh, someone from the detective branch took over there that time, and they brought it up to the, delivered it up to the British Embassy. And on this day, on the first Tuesday in in May in 1940, I was I was I was deputed to go down and take over to bring the escort the mail back in. And I remember I was travelling by road, and the driver saw and. Oh, he said, last, he said, there's a fellow here. Yes, sir, he said, a yard. And he said, he got in, and his first thing was, he said, he took out his revolver, and he removed the bullets out of it. And then he said, he put it in his pocket, and he said, after, if it's a fight, he said, we'll have to make a fight of it. And God, he said, I thought to myself, how the hell is he going to fight with no bullets in the revolver? And I said, Asher, who the hell would ever bother attacking this thing or anything like that? And both of us agreed they wouldn't. I went ahead to Western Row, and I was told, I'd see a, a man, a plainclothes man, there with a, Showproof coat with a black diamond on his wife had died, and he was a man named Shannon. And just see, wave at him and point where the bike was. And, I, and then go down, go down the end of the train, uh, or the platform, and take the train back to Dunleary. So I saw this man there, and I waved to him, and he waved back, and I pointed at the bag, and I walked down the train and got off, and got down on the plane out to Dunleary. When I arrived off the, tra- off the train in Dunleary, I met a guard there, and he said, Are you all right? I said, What's wrong? He said, "Rafferty came over. He said that the mail car was attacked, and the shots fired, and there was two men injured." God, I said, "No." So I went up to the station, and they told me, "Oh, Lord, this them said Max Sweeney and Shannon. Shannon was a, a Limerick man. He was a high jump specialist, good high jumper. He jumped here for Ireland at the Olympic Games. Oh yes, Salton Games in 1924, 28. And uh, himself and Max Sweeney, the got motorcycle and, and sidecar and it's made with the with the bag and the diplomatic bag and the thing and coming up through Hollis Street and the next thing was a car pulled up outside them. I drove up beside them and fell over a machine going out and fired at them and hit the two of them and were, the car the bicycle crashed and in the footpath and they fell down and he Max Sweeney fell down and he ducked behind the as much of them were border by as he could. And the fellow came out, he told afterwards, and tried to come over to, 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 to the to sidecar to get the bag. And he said when he was just at about six yards away, he pulled out his gun and he let go with three shots at him. And he said he doubled over and they grabbed him, rushed out of the car and they grabbed him and into the car and off. Isn't that extraordinary? And, 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 and so they didn't take the bag. Mm-hmm. The two guards were badly injured, Mike Sweeney and Shannon, and both of them got special promotion the day afterwards. Now they had government point of special promotion for their valour and preventing the bag from being told. Well, and and so your part in that... that well, yeah, the, I, I handed the bag over to them. You did? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't I lucky? They didn't attack the mail car on the way in. I'm talking to Eamon Dyle here in Kilkenny City. Eamon, a retired guard now, uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Wexford Morris, um, um, was born just outside New Ross in a little place called Old Ross um, and went to school there, um, then went on to St Peter's in Wexford, finished that um, and trained as a guard, came to Kilkenny 1964 now. Uh, talk to me about your time now. Uh, 
the, the early days here in Kilkenny, what, what was it like to police the town uh, here in, in the city? I suppose the, the, the changes have been overwhelming in a way. Um, you're talking about a, a, a population of the, of the town at the time of probably no more than, I don't know, maybe 15,000 or whatever like that, probably half what it is now. Uh, you were talking about half the force that's there now. I think we had about 30 or 35 maybe um, of a police force in the place. But then you must remember that in the outlying areas, there was, in all the outlying villages, there was a sergeant and a couple of guards in the outlying areas. Um, um, we worked, as I say, a 29-day month. You had two days off in the month. You worked four hours every Sunday. Um, and you did your night duty stint for a fortnight, on a fortnight straight through, from ten at night until six in the morning. Um, with with no with nothing more, still nothing more than two days off in the month. So there was no big lead up to getting yourself ready for night work or or adjusting back to daytime routine immediately afterwards. Um, it was um, um, at night time. When you, when you think of it in today's terms, at night time, two patrolled the town on foot. Remember, remember, there was no communication. There was no telephonic communication. There was no radios at that particular time. Um, so you just you, you, were, you were on your own, largely. Um, one guy at one end of the town, another guy at the other end of the town, and uh, you communicated as best you could. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, a, it's a, no no patrol car. Mm-hmm. I know. I mean, this is back in the sixties. It's not, not not such a hell of a length ago, you know. Yeah. So of course there was the bike, uh, and I, I'm just thinking: bike, yeah. had you connection with the countryside at that stage? Would you have gone out to the local farmers? <clears throat> um, after six months here, the training routine at the time after six months here was that you automatically went out to a rural area and you got some experience in a rural area. And I, like all the others of my age group, were, I was sent out to Kilmagani, which is about 15 miles out, and I spent two years out there. Um, in, I didn't particularly like it at the time. In hindsight, it was probably the best experience I had because it forced me to, to deal with things on my own. There wasn't backup, so if there was a row in a local pub or something, you, you had to deal with it. If there was a dispute with neighbours, you had to deal with it. If there was a house broken into or whatever, you had to deal with it. And it was a tremendous exercise in getting to know people in a face-to-face way. And it probably stood to me probably more than any other training that I did during my, during my whole stint. And at that time, we had a lot of work that wasn't strictly Garda work. And yet, in another way, it was Garda work. We were doing work for the Department of Agriculture, for instance, getting um, uh, all statistics... So you had to call to every household in the locality with your big book, sort of working out how much land he had and what he had on the beet and what he had on their, on their uh, corn, uh, you know, how many bullocks he had, how many heifers he had, chickens, eggs laid. Was that a way to get to know the, the people? Well, it was a fantastic way of getting to know the people. You can readily understand how you get to know the people. I mean, and they got to know you, so there was a, uh, there was a, there was a mutual benefit in that. Mm. Um, of course it was. You knew you knew your area. I mean, to this day, I would know that area out there. I won't say better than I'd know the town here, but I'd certainly remember. Of course it was.
I'm here in Kells, just outside yeah. Kells in County Mead, and yeah. I'm, I'm talking to George Dennison. That's right. George, you were in the Guards for yeah. over 40 years. Yeah, 43, nearly 43 years, Morris. Were you in Sligo then through the 60s? Then? No, yes, I was until 1969. I came to Kells. Yeah, now that's an important part yeah. uh, of, of being in the Guards because yeah. you were faced with the the growth of the IRA. That's right. And what was happening in the But Irish. not not so much in Sligo, but when I came here, there was a lot of IRA here in this in this area. When I came here initially, Navan was in the district and Slane was in the district. And Sean McSteven was the chief of staff of the IRA and he was living in Navan at the time. And there was 42 listed, listed IRA in the district when I came to the district. Did you know them all? No. Well, I knew them, but most of them over time. I mean, there was only one detective guard in Navan at that time when I came here. And since that, there has been a detective sergeant and three three detective guards now and at the present time for the past number of years, maybe 25 years. But when I came here initially, there was only one one detective guard. And he was supposed to report all the confidential reports on the on the movements of the array. One man, one man. Oh, that was very bad, wasn't it? Were you thrown into? Were you responsible for you for uh, that? Time? Oh, I was. Were you? Right. Well, and yeah. uh, so, uh, but, but I brought this notice up in Dublin, uh, to Dublin, about the, you know, and then of course the beef it up, beef it up, beef it up a little bit. You brought what to the 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 paucity of of detectives. There was only one detective in the district. Okay, and you were yeah. You brought that up. I brought that to notice. Yeah. Oh yes. But it must be very hard for you to, to cope with that. Well, it's, it was yeah. very hard. It was very difficult to cope with that. Yeah. Well, Were you threatened at any stage? No, I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> Thanks be to God. <laughs> <laughs> but did you know that there was so much movement up and down? Oh, there was a fair bit of movement. Oh, there was. Those, those years were busy. The early, 69, 70. And then Navin was opened, opened up. In There was superintendent installed in Navan in 1975 so I was in charge of Navan and Slane and Kells and Oldcastle and Nobber and Athboy and Cross the Keel And how did you manage them all? It wasn't it wasn't easy I used to be working a 70 or 60 or 70 or a week And did you ever get tired? Oh or yes you get yeah, tired yeah. You, would, you would of course and again, it was the courts that you were handling, is it? Mostly courts. Yes, and, and of course, IRA activity as well. There used to be yeah. conferences in Drogheda nearly every week. A conference. Yeah. And it had to go, that, that's nearly, it's 25 miles to Drogheda from here. And over to the to conferences. They were mostly about IRA activity at that time. Mm. And were people very open about being... Well, it's to, to a certain extent they were. Yeah. To, to a certain extent, the 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 real worry was the only worry was at the time of the troubles in the north. You know, the, when the, when the, the bloody bloody Sunday in, the, in Derry and all the rest of it, and uh, that there might have been an incursion over the border from here. Well, there was there was activities on the border. Of course, Dundalk was a very bad place. Mm. There was a hot place, a hot 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 spot. Mm. Dundalk was. I used to repress some of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't want to be living. You wouldn't want to be dwelling on it too much. Jerry Murray here in Tullamore. 
in the Guard of Force for how many years? I served for over 39 years. Where were you born? I was born in a place called Esker, Castle Blakeney, in Ballinasloe area. What were your early uh, experiences of, of being in the Guards then in Dublin? Did you? Is that where you were stationed as soon as you were trained? No. Uh, I, I did work one time, one night in particular, the night of the open television. I worked in O'Connell Street that night. It was a snowy night, and our main job that night was to stop the young fellows around the town throwing snowballs at the people who were trying to launch Telefichern. Really? That would be 61. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, my first appointment in September of 60 was Caventown. Caventown on the border. Oh, that uh, that was quite a The border was active at that time, yeah. yeah. It was very active. The 56 to 62 campaign was at its full swing that time. And uh, it was nothing unusual any night there to be told that there was more spikes after being blown off the border, you know, and you'd have to go out there and uh, patrol the thing. And, you know, it was very active that time now. Yeah. And it lasted till the end of 62. It was dangerous work too, wasn't it? Well, we were fortunate. Uh, I recall being sent out on a border pint one night at about 11 o'clock. And every two or three hours the patrol car would call back on my own in a bridge called Annie's Bridge down near Newtown Butler. And uh, there was a railway bridge overhead and a road underneath and the River Finn immediately inside. And I always remember the rats attack my sandwiches on the side of the road. Came up out of the river and attacked my sandwiches. And uh, you were very isolated. You were on your own. You were out there in a border pint. A young felon is just 20. Were you armed? No. No arm. You might have your baton. You'd have your baton, all right. But um, I was fortunate, I suppose, that nothing happened. Yeah. But uh, there was nothing unusual. I was no different than anybody else. Most people working on the border did those type of things. Uh, What were you asked to look out for? People maybe using the railway line overhead or using the road underneath. Anything, any vehicle that would come during the night, you'd you'd, uh, stop it and check it. But then, of course, you were quite isolated. When you think about it now, you were very isolated. If... um, if anything did happen, you were very much on your own. But then we all were young and you didn't think about those things. And uh, there was always a bit of a challenge involved. And as a young person, you, you were always ready for that. Uh, were, were there uh, people coming up from the south at this stage? There yeah? were. And mind you, at that time, some of that time anyway, if you take the Sean South song now, Sean Southus and Gary Owen in Limerick, there was a lot of people... Um, in Ireland admiring them what they were doing that they were coming up and they were doing that and they were forgetting that there was people being killed up there and uh, there was a different attitude towards at that time But did they feel that in some way that they could help the people in the north by... by Oh well they had dreams they had huge dreams that they could go up and take over the north and that they could run the whole show and when they got up there a lot of them got lost you know and they were damn glad to see guards some of the time when you'd arrive on them, they would be led. They wouldn't know which way was south, yeah. and that's what they wanted to know: which way was south, so they could hit off there. And at times, they, w- they wouldn't even know which way to go, and they would love, delighted to see guards. It was great to see down in Cork and Kerry and Limerick when you were thinking of going up and taking over the border. But when you arrived above then, and the nights got dark, and you were found yourself on your own, and maybe separated from your comrades, yeah. very different ball game. Very different volume. But there was there was huge passion at that time, you know. They, there they, was. They, and, and they went up with guns and, 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 and they were... Prepared. Yeah. 
So and they attacked our IC stations up there, our UC stations rather, and they did that sort of thing, all right. But I suppose they had their ideas. They thought it was a very good thing to be doing, and yeah, you know, were you confronted? Did you actually were you at any stage uh, in a position where you had to to meet these fellows and, and tell them go back down or, or oh, arrest we met, them? Or? Yes, we met plenty of them. We met we yeah. met lots of them. In fact, at one particular time, we met people from this town up there. I wasn't here. I wasn't stationed here at that time. Yeah. But I met people from this town up there that were well known along the border. And, um, yeah, plenty of times we met them up there. But we never met them in a confrontational situation, if you know what I mean now. Any time we met them, there was no hassle and um, no, no real problems. They treated, certainly treated the police force of the South, as we call it, very well anyway. Had a certain amount of respect for them. But the enemy seemed to be north of the border. And, I, I mean, <laughs> would you throw a blind eye at some stage? One of, the, one, one of the best friends I had when I worked on the border was a smuggler. He was the best known smuggler on the border. <laughs> and I was very, very friendly with him. And his attitude to me was, well, I didn't put it there. It wasn't I put it there. It's there. And I'm going to use it to my benefit. And he'd say, do you see anything wrong with that? And I'd say, well, I don't, Jim. I don't see anything wrong with it. Now, he didn't put it there, but he was going to use it so long as it was there. And he was a very law-abiding man, very helpful to the police, but um, was a smuggler. And would tell you he was a smuggler. I went into his yard one evening and I found him with Michelin tyres. He must have a thousand of them and he was a razor blade. And I said, what are you at, Jim? I'm taking the last two numbers, he says, off each of those tyres. He says, I've paid for a hundred tyres. He says, I've paid tax on a hundred tyres. And he says, I'll be able to import 10,000, he said, on that, if I take off the two numbers, the last two numbers, he says, off the cereals. And he was cutting them off with a blade, with a razor blade with the back on it. You know, the one that... And, and just didn't seem to see anything wrong with that. Oh, you he know, didn't that, see that a thing wrong living. with that. That was his living. That was his living. Yeah. And he knew that... Uh, well, I suppose I owed him an odd one too. I was friendly with him and he'd keep me touched up. He was a man I could talk to if I wanted to know what was happening along there. All right, so that came into into play as well. Well, yeah. naturally. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the relationship there. Yeah, yeah. 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 You need, well, you needed that in the force as well, didn't oh, of you? Of course you did. Yeah. Of course you did. Yeah. There's always bargaining of one kind or another going on. <laughs> sure, if, yeah. you, if, somebody's going to, if somebody's caught for a bicycle light yeah. and he's going to tell me about a murder, I'm going to forget <laughs> about the bicycle light. I want to hear about the other thing. I'm here in Malahide in the Grand Hotel I'm talking to Mary Stratford, knee Garvey. And with a name like Garvey, I would have said West Kerry, but you're actually a County Clare woman. County Clare woman from Bearfield, just near Ennis. I grew up there. And then my secondary education was at Gloucester in Ennis, where I completed my leaving cert in 1959. Why did you decide then... uh, to join the guards at that stage? Well, I suppose in 1959, the first 12 Bangardee were on the newspapers. And when I saw it, I thought, this is what I would like to do. The only thing was, you had to be 20 to join, and I was only 18. Right, but it, it was in your mind. And did anybody suggest to you you should do it, or did you just find... I, nobody suggested it to me. In actual fact, I'm the first Clare 
female member of an Gardaíochána. My, and tell me, this is this is very early. I did they. they they were just accepting women into the force at that time. It had just started in 1958. The government thought that it would be a good idea to have women in the force. Where did you go to train? And uh, yes. Talk to me about all that. First of all, we did an exam in Limerick. And then you were given, given a place and... Uh, mine was third in Ireland, and then um, we had to go to Dublin and do a medical, an interview, and an oral Irish. And I joined on the 2nd of May 1962 with seven other girls. We um, were signed in as members. And then we trained for six months in the Phoenix Park. It was a very, very um, happy time, I think, for all the people. We, there were 42 men and eight girls in the class. Wow. My goodness, yeah. And did you feel, do you feel strange or put out by being a girl? Not one bit. Not one bit, maybe because of my past experience working in the hospital. I had plenty of experience of working with men. Yeah. And, uh, and then the uniform. I mean, this is the first, first of all. Yeah. First of all, they didn't give us uniforms. They gave us what we used to call boiler suits, sort of track suits. And that's what we used every day. We didn't live in. We lived in digs. Um, off the North Circular Road, and we had a very nice landlady who looked, took care of us very well. And um, after the six months then, on the 5th of October, 62, we, what they call, passed out. What does that mean? It means you graduated, and uh, you were given your station. So they had to make a big decision. Nobody had gone to Limerick before then. So the idea was maybe Limerick or Galway, but they chose Limerick. And a girl called Peg Tierney was a sergeant already in Pierce Street, and she was allocated to come with us. Four of us and herself came to Limerick. I remember well when they decided to send us, the, the people in, in the depot decided maybe they'd send us on the train in uniform. So this was the first time that guards ever travelled going to a station in uniform. So we arrived down and the press met us in Limerick Station. Oh, yeah. And later on then... People, when they'd see us going to work, they would ask us to stand at the Treaty Stone for a picture. We were like film stars. Well, we've come to the end of this week's podcast, Policing the Free State, Part 1. I hope you enjoyed listening to the stories of some of the police force uh, who I randomly picked from our 
archive Irish life and lore. And if you'd like to hear the full interviews, they're available on our website. Now for part two of Policing the Free State. I was dismissed by the Executive Council on the 25th of June, 1928. But the panicked and he asked us to resign. Oh, yeah. You know, but that was the discipline that time. As Detective Sergeant in Mayfield, you know, there was paintings stolen in Dublin. He asked to say, Han, he said, I'll get you some of them. The comrades I met in the Gardaí, uh, I met the, a lot of the guards who joined in the early days. But uh, Jerry wasn't long in uniform when he went into a special branch. And uh, he was he loved Special Branch. There are some of the voices that you will hear next week. I'm Morris O'Keefe, and I look forward to bringing you that podcast next week. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.